If you will, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. Well, I want to thank all of you who tried to give me a visitor's card this morning. And um, for some of you guests who have uh, wondered who the pastor is of the church, um, I had someone come up to me who'd been here the last two weeks and said, well, I didn't know who the pastor was. I said, well, they say I'm the pastor, but anyway. But uh, this is our last week of Generous. I want to thank Gary and Jonathan for doing such a tremendous job with the series. Uh, occasionally, um, during at least one time a year, I like to step out and do some individual teaching on some subjects. And I had the privilege to do that with some young couples over the last three weeks about parenting. And uh, so there's times I'm probably going to step aside and do another love in which I love to connect with these young couples and kind of feed into their lives. And that's where I've been for the last three weeks. So I appreciate your patience, but I do want to thank those men for filling in and doing such a wonderful job. Some of you have asked me why I gave Jonathan the hard work last week. He asked for that, okay? So I didn't give him that. He asked for that. So uh, I'm going to continue that thought in which he raised last week as it relates to where our church is. So Look at the introduction there on your outline. The local church should be the most generous entity in any local community. Its generosity should be established in and directed towards biblical discipleship. It's not enough just to be a place of generosity that hands out money to needs, every need in the community, whatever. Now, we attempt to do some of that. Uh, but you know, there's not an endless supplies. There's a much more need in our community when it comes to finances than anything else. But there is one thing that we know that we can give, and that is of ourselves as it relates to discipling other people. That's the mandate being given to us. So everything we do should be for the purposes of discipleships. Now, look at the goal of discipleship. To bring a person into a saving knowledge of faith in Jesus Christ, then help them understand what it means to be his follower and how to walk in the light of his truth. And y'all, that is what is severely missing in our world today, especially in our society. We, got, we just basically, the church has basically got to get back to good old-fashioned discipleship. And, and so many times we've traded in other things for that, and it's costing the church. So look at the challenge of discipleship. Are we building a church that is fulfilling its responsibilities? Are we building that here? Are we seeing that happen? So really the question is, what are the possibilities of us? Jonathan talked last week about the power of us and how we've seen so many amazing things happen down through the ages in the history of this church. And we've seen men and people being raised up to go and lead in other areas. We've seen uh, missionaries leave us, two young ladies last week who go into the mission field. And we've been blessed over and over again to see how God is using this church in many ways. But are we doing all that we know we should? And that's what I want us to look at today, the possibilities of us. This past November, as every year, our staff takes a, what I would call a staff retreat. And we go away, and now that we've expanded our staff, we've added a little more time to that. And we go away for a couple of nights, and we spend about three days just discussing what we believe God is doing in the midst of our church, what we feel we should be stepping up, and how we need to approach our role as a church in this community and in this world. And we look very carefully at these things. And so I want to give you some of the things that came up 
are the questions that were raised in our, in our staff meeting back in November. And I want to kind of show you the thought process that goes in to us being what we believe the church, what we've been called to be as a church. And of course, all this is led by the Holy Spirit. The staff came with these answers to these questions. But I want you to listen to some of the questions we answered before we even got to our meeting. Do we have a transferable mission or vision statement? Now, what does that mean? Do our members and attenders know why we exist? I'm convinced that many people have no clue why the church exists other than it's some type of thing in the community. And many times they don't. But the question we even ask ourselves, does the church know why we exist? And that's a question we ask ourselves. By what standard do we measure our success as a church? How, how do we measure what we are trying to accomplish? What does it even look like? Which of these three drive the majority of our decisions? Listen to this. Reaching people, keeping people, or paying the bills. Now you say, that's so simplistic. No, really. What is the motivation for what we do around here? Now, I'm just going to speak into this freely. If this has been about keeping people, we never would have made the changes we've made over the last 20 years. Because every one of those decisions, we knew there was a risk at losing people when it came to becoming the church we really believe God was calling us to be in this community. And many of you have hung with us. Some of you are like, I don't know why I'm hanging with you, but I'm, I'm just trusting you. Let's just go for it. And I appreciate you trusting that. And I hope you understand what we're trying to accomplish. And maybe enough time has played out where you're seeing the fruit of some of the things that we've been able to do as a church. So it hasn't been about keeping people. It's not about paying the bills. Listen, our church, you are generous when it comes to making, when we make the needs known to go out and, and, and take care of what we need to take care of, what we feel the leadership is called to. And I wanna thank you for that. So I really believe our motivation as a church, I know it is with these pastors, is to reach people. Another question we ask ourselves is, why have we fallen in love with that's not as effective as it used to be? You see, there's a lot of churches that don't ask that question anymore. There's a lot of churches that are still trying to live out the good old days that may have been in the 70s and the 80s and even the 90s. I mean, we're living in a fast-changing world. And so many times churches hold on to things that they have no business holding on to because guess what? It's not going to reach the population around them. And we're seeing that many times. Another question is this, what do we measure? When we begin to look around and see, are we accomplishing what we're called to accomplish? What do we measure? So many times, many people would say, well, this attendance, it's the giving, it's those uh, who are giving to missions, those who go on global missions. Jonathan outlined a lot of that last week, and we've seen tremendous success there. Matter of fact, you get two pastors together. You know what the two questions will be? How many were there Sunday? What was your offering like? <laughs> I'm serious. And, and, and that's how many churches measure their success. Don't you think there's got to be more to it than that? And it is. It is more than that. So really, here's the question. How do we measure success? Is there a natural relationship between what we measure and our mission? What is our mission? Are there things we should be measuring that would give us a more accurate read of how well we were doing when it comes to discipleship. And I'll tell you this, it may be mixed up in some attendance number. It may be in some of the giving as a fruit of what God's doing when God gets a hold of the heart of people, but that's not the main thing. 
The, the answer should be is, how many are being baptized? How many are being intentionally discipled or mentored? How many are being trained to lead? How many are actually serving in the body? All these things are expectations of a good disciple or follower of Jesus Christ. So how are we measuring? Here's another great question. This is what the pastors, we, we attempt to answer questions like this when we meet. What do we celebrate around here? Is there a natural relationship between what we celebrate and our mission? Is our Here's a great question. If our church suddenly ceased to exist, would our community miss us? You ever thought about that? If so, why? What value do we bring to our community? How do people outside our church view our church? What, what, what are our primary goals in our ministry? Each pastor answers that question. Our children's pastor answers the question. He did a beautiful job answering that in our staff meeting. He, said, he just loves children. He wants to see children in love with Jesus Christ and become a, a, a responsible adults who know how to follow Christ. The student minister said the same thing. Of course, I think he copied the children. No, I'm just kidding. No, no it was the same thing. They each had to answer it separately. And, and, and that's really what it's all about. So the key is, it's more than just having the right answers. It's about what are we implementing around here? What are we celebrating around here? What obstacles keep us from achieving our goals and the successes of discipleship? When I say this, listen to this. What, do we do, what we do around here does not happen in a vacuum. It's born out of prayer. It's born out of reflection. It's born out of evaluation which translates into the vision that we believe God has for this church. There's not a week that goes by where we're able to have a staff meeting and that we're not sitting and, and talking about what we did the Sunday before and, and looking at that and evaluating that. And are we hitting the marks? Are we doing what we're called to do? do could it look a little bit better? Could there have been a better challenge? And always anticipating what God may do the next Sunday. And we're not only looking at for what goes on this room, in this room, we're looking at what that may look like in individual connect groups, what it looks like for the children in their meeting, what it looks like for the Wednesday night meeting the teenagers have. We're constantly reflecting and evaluating what God desires from us. And we're looking at this vision that I believe, I mean, when you start just hearing people talk about vision, listen, the church has been given the vision in the scriptures. Are we doing it? There's a delicate balance, and our pastors are very aware of this. There's a delicate balance of holding firm to God's word and his mandate and reaching into the world. Y'all, that gets tricky at times. We don't want to look just like the world, but we do want to celebrate what God's done in our hearts. And we want to make that known. That he is a God who's worthy of our praise. He's a God who, who, who is worthy for us to build our lives upon his word and his truth. And that's what we're all about. As I said uh, not too long ago, out of 85 Southern Baptist churches, listen to this. 41 of those churches have giving less than $100,000 a year. Those churches, unless God just miraculously gets a hold of the hearts of those people and they begin to have a revival, the, there's a good chance those churches won't be around in the next five, 10 years. 
That's almost half of the churches around here that identify with Southern Baptists. And that's sad. What's happened? Is God's plan not working anymore? No, it's, it still works. It's just a matter of adapting it to a society that has changed. And it means going after that society that has changed and trying our best to show them that the answer is found in God's way. So here's the task of discipleship. When it comes to discipleship, what are we up against? Let me tell you what I believe we're up against. We live in a society and community, by the way, that is either far from God and celebrates it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? They're far from God and they celebrate that they're far from God. How many of you noticed that? You've seen that. Yeah, some, some of our own family members, it breaks our heart to see, but that's where they are. We're either there or we think we think we're close to God, but essentially we're far from God. And here's why, because the last group, they think they are close to God because they are worshiping a God that they've created in their own image. That's what's happening. And so all of a sudden you've got two groups of people that we're encountering when it comes to a church that's attempting to do what it's called to do. We're encountering a, a church, a society, excuse me, that is basically knows they're far from God, they're celebrating them. Or we're talking about a society in which they think they're close to God and they are far from God. And you say, how can you be the judge? I'm not the judge. I know what I read. I know what the truth says. I've been discipled in it. And therefore, I recognize what is outside of what is written in God's word. And it's very clear what we're seeing. So, so look on your outline. The task of discipleship is, number one, equipping. Equipping. It means to provide what is needed to be complete. Okay? So Ephesians 4, look at verse 12. It says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. If you go back to verse 11, it talks about how God's given the church certain gifts to do, accomplish certain things. And he says, why did I give people those gifts? Well... Let me just tell you this. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, guess what? You've been given a gift based on the authority of Scripture. And guess what? There's a, there's a purpose for the gift. And here it is. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. The word equipping is not only to give, something, give someone something to necessary to be complete, but it seems to also mean to repair something. It literally means to set a bone. How many of you look out in our society and you see that there's something that needs to be repaired? There's something that's amiss. There's something that people are looking for and which is leading them further and further away from the answers. And it is amazing how people, listen, the primary tool God provides for the equipping of the saints is his word. Many who call themselves Christians do not know what it means to be a disciple. And you know why they don't know what it means to be a disciple? They don't know what the, what the terms are. They don't even know what it looks like. And let me say this. I'm grieved by that. I'm burdened by that. That's what drives me. That's what drives me as a leader in the church. That's what drives our pastors. I've heard their heart. It's beautiful to hear Wes's heart here. That's where discipleship begins is where he was talking about this morning. The realization that you're not where God desires you to be. That starts right there. Discipleship is going on. Next, the task of discipleship is not only equipping but edifying. To strengthen by instruction 
and encouragement. Ephesians 4, 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying. Some of your translations say for the building up of the body of Christ. Edify, edifying and building are both words which imply that there's progress to something. There's progress. There's movement. And for us as individuals, it may mean we've been, we were here last year, but look where we are today. There's something that's changed. There's something that's transformed in our lives. We may have thought like we were in darkness, but now we think as those who are in light. And there's so many different ways of looking at that. So the question is this, what are we building? Are we, are we as a church family building disciples through equipping and edifying? Now, what's the goal? You got to look down to verse 13. It says, till we all come. Till we all come. Let's, let's stop right there. Just that phrase. Are you included in the phrase, we all? Okay, so the goal. Okay, how do we get to the goal? Edifying and equipping. Okay, my question to you is this. Are you edifying and equipping? A question that may be for some of you is, are you being edified and equipped? You, you see what I'm saying? That's the role of the church. That's what it's all about. And it's that all of us are necessary and all of us are called to focus on the target of discipleship. He says, till we all come, each one of us, we must learn to count on each other and to encourage each other as we all become all that God desires. The phrase come to literally means there's a destination to attain to. There's a destination that we're headed towards. And Paul gives us four desired destinations in these next verses, or four targets of our discipleship. So look at the goal here. Look at it. The target of discipleship, number one, is unity of the faith. It's literally the idea of moving in the same direction, moving in the same direction. Listen, I am convinced that this church is making the strides that it is making in this community by moving in such a way that we're still viable in our community because we are unified. There's a unity in this church that if, I wish you could just come sit in a pastor's meeting. We don't agree on everything. We got some young guys that think they know everything. You got the old guys that are sitting there and say, no, you don't think you, you don't know everything because we used to be you. We thought we knew everything. You don't know everything. And there's that balance that must be achieved with the older and the younger. There's that whole idea that God is up to something. He wants to move us in the direction. I wish you could sit in on some of the deacons meetings. Some of you are sitting there thinking, I would too. I'd like to see how y'all do all y'all do. You know, so. I mean, it's amazing. If you're a deacon, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I hear horror stories from other churches and you know, you go in, you walk into a Dickens meeting, you, you, you're, ready, you're ready to go to war if you have to. But there's such a unity. I mean, it is. It doesn't mean everybody's brainwashed or... No, we raise, we raise questions. There's accountability. There's, well, what are you doing? There's, let's look at this a little more carefully. Let's, let's table this. Let's come back to this next week. But you know what? It all communicates unity it seems, in those directions. Now, this is where you need to pray for us as leadership. Just as soon as I raise this, guess what we are? We're a target. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So you deacons, you need to behave over the next couple. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Pastors too. 
But he's talking about the idea, the unity of faith, moving in the same direction. Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of faith. The unity of faith, listen, is a shared understanding in the church of the great truths revealed in Scripture. No growth growth towards wholeness and maturity can occur without the unity of the faith through the correct understanding of Christian doctrine. We've got to come to an understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a disciple. It means that we're unified in belief, even when it means we are persecuted, and even if it means it appears we're out of touch. I can't tell you how many times, occasionally I'll talk about something that the world's moving fast towards. And you may not like this statement, but it's in the scriptures. Cohabitation. Bible says it's wrong. A man and woman should not live together unless they're husband and wife. You say that is so out of date. Do you even know the world you're living in? Yeah, I do know the world I'm living in. And I'm here to tell you, God said there's a better way to do it. And he said that. And it's not that I'm trying to be some killjoy or trying to take God's word and beat you over the head with it. Let me just tell you what it's really all about. It's all about finding the best way in which a God who was a creator created you in such a way with a purpose that his, demand, that his commands and all the things that he puts there, you can call them demands, whatever he puts there, they're intended to provide for you and to protect you for you. And when you step outside of that, you're opening yourself up for all kinds of trouble. So yes, we need to communicate that message, but, and it needs to be with compassion, but that's exactly what it is. This young lady's wondering if the man's ever going to put a ring on her finger. Why should he? He's getting the benefit of everything else. You say, how's that got to do anything with discipleship? Because y'all, these are the type of things we're dealing with. You got to move people in that direction. And, and, and listen, it's the best way. We got to present the best way. This is God's word. It's the best way. It's difficult, but it's the best way. It may, be, it may seem like it's out of touch. It's still the best way. Here's another target of discipleship. Knowledge of the son of God. And it's, it's, it's literally accurate truth. Accurate truth. Notice I said that. Ephesians chapter four, the second part of verse 13, it says, and of the knowledge of the son of God. Now, what is the knowledge of the son of God? It's twofold. It's first of all, it's an accurate view of God. Did you hear what I said? An accurate view of God. We live in a society that wants to create God in their own image. They want to tell that God what attributes he should have and what he should not have. And that's what we're living in. And there's a lot of people deceived because they think they're close to God. But really, if they take a step back, if they would just somehow realize that, no, they've created that God, they would see the error of their way. Here's another part of that knowledge, a deeper, more intimate, experiential knowledge of God. If you have an accurate view of God, I'm convinced you can truly experience who he is. But it's got to be an accurate view. A third target of discipleship, the idea of the perfect man. Now, most of us sitting in this room would say, perfection, come on, really? Really what the word is saying is really a maturing faith, a means not lacking. That means everything that's necessary to become perfected before God is sitting right there in front of you. It's just a matter of will we partake or not. It's a matter of will we surrender to it. 
So, so he says, verse 13, to a perfect man. It's, it speaks of more of a destination to head towards. Moving to maturity in our view of God, in, in our understanding of God, in our understanding of God's plan for us, and in our surrender to God. Next, the target of discipleship, to measure, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. It means complete. It means fully grown. Part of 13 says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The idea of complete conformity is to the image of Christ. That's what we're talking about. So these, when you start looking at all these things, you say, what does this have to do with anything? Here's what it looks like. The body of Christ is to radiate the beauty of Christ to a spiritually dead world by walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. That's what he's talking about here. And these, what we just discussed, are the targets of true discipleship. Now, here's the testimony of the disciple. If we are truly being equipped and truly being edified and we're yielding to the things we just raised here, then this is what it will look like when, when we, this will be our testimony. Here's what it will look like. Number one, we'll follow or follows correct doctrine. That's foreign to the world. But here's the sad part. It's also foreign to the church many times. Follows correct doctrine. Who would have ever imagined the churches that we hear from the pulpits of things that are contrary to the word of God? It is amazing what you're hearing out there right now. It's, it's in the direct, it's contrary to what God's word says. The seed that was planted to create Confusion around correct doctrine was the introduction of what we call relative truth. Some of you may not, be, may not know the term, but back in the 1970s is when I first became aware of it, and then into the 80s. And then really in the 90s, there was a gentleman by the name of Josh McDowell. I don't know if some of you may have heard of Josh McDowell, but Josh McDowell was one of the first people I ever heard that was speaking on the subject. And he basically, everywhere he went, now I would carry teenagers to some of his conferences and they would sit there and get, <laughs> he would be so far above where they were that even the, 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 the adults that I took with him came and said, well, what was he talking about? <laughs> but here's what he was saying, y'all. He said, when we move, when we as a society move away from absolute truth to relative truth, we're going to open up ourselves to everything and anything. Was he a prophet? Exactly, he was. And here's what we're talking about. When a society, this is a quote, listen to this. When a society moves away from absolute truth to embrace relevant truth, then the truth of that society can be anything its imagination conceives. Are we living in that society? That's exactly what we're living in. Absolute truth, what is that? It is independently true for all and displays authority, even if it's not recognized as truth. It's still out there. Relative truth carries the idea that a meaning, conclusion, or concept can be true for one person and not for another. Can you already hear where the confusion's gonna lie? I had someone tell me when I tried to talk to them about who Christ was and they basically said, so where do you get your marching orders? I said, from the word of God. And they basically said, you need a, here's what they told me. They said, you need a more progressive view of truth. That's what they told me. 
I told them not to come back to our church. No, I'm kidding. It wasn't anybody, <laughs> wasn't anybody in our church. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about, but with every wind of doctrine. Let me just tell you one thing. This part of verse 14 haunts me because my passion, listen, my passion as a teacher of God's word is I want people to understand God correctly. And I want them to understand not only him correctly, I want them to experience him, experience him correctly. Because listen, he has the answers for their needs in their life. He offers the hope. And many people are turning their back to it. So what does all this look like? The word carry or the phrase carried about literally means move from one place to another. I want you to look at this. Look at that, that there is the picture of most people in our society. No foundation, wherever the wind takes them. And look, they're even going in circles. Now, we could look at that and be judgmental, couldn't we? We're not called to look at that judgmentally. We're called to look at that compassionately. And y'all, I have to remind myself of that. When I look at the news, sometimes the first thing that comes up in my mind and my heart is anger. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's, that, <laughs> I need to be looking at that with compassion. That these people are lost and the enemy has them in such a way they don't even know who they are anymore. And they are going from one place to another. They, they don't value life anymore. They don't, have, they don't have the correct identity. I mean, it's all up in the air. And the enemy has been spinning their minds and their hearts for a long time. It's sad. The testimony of the disciple is not easily and comfortably deceived. In Ephesians chapter 4, the last part of 14, it says, By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. The phrase trickery of men literally, literally refers to those who intentionally fraud someone or sleight of hand. And of course, this would be in a spiritual sense. It's the idea that people are leading people astray. And y'all, that is going on in pulpits and even in mainline denominations. They are leading people astray. Leading people astray. And it talks about that. To me, if I were a student of God's word, a serious student of God's word, and I looked at God's word, I started seeing things like this. I would hope that I would have enough sense, enough wisdom, enough discernment to know, hey, this is talking about me when I step away from the correct doctrine. But many don't get it. How about this idea comfortably deceived? Some people would rather hear that type of message, the tickling of the ear. My flesh says, my flesh directs me to want this. Does anyone agree with my flesh? And they will look until they find someone who agrees with their flesh. Yeah. And they'll flip the channel. They'll put on a different pastor. They'll read a little different book. They'll start looking at the government and says, well, if the government says it's okay, it must be okay. But really? <laughs> Let me say this. My family is counting on me not to be deceived by this world. Your family is too. Are you the bearer of truth in your family? Now, did I miss it sometimes? 
Yeah, my wife says I missed it quite a bit. <laughs> I'm getting better, though. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, no. Yeah, I am. I'm growing. But anyway, here's what I mean by that. I still uphold truth. I still believe, even though it's so far out of date. But you know something? Somehow, and it's only by the grace of God, I'm just going to tell you that. It wasn't fancy parenting on my behalf. It was just my idea of pointing in a direction as a parent, and God got a hold of the hearts of my children. And they believe, and they're living in a society which the world would call them out of date. And they're still trucking along. My family's counting on me not to be deceived. Your family's counting on you not to be deceived. Someone's got to be a standard bearer of truth. And you may be the only one in your family that is. God's called you to that. I hate to say it. He's called you to that. The testament of the disciple, the accountability to others in the faith. In verse 4, it says, but speaking the truth in love. We all need others to speak truth to us, don't we? Do we need that? We do. Our children need it from us. Our grandchildren need it from us. If, if, if we need it from our children sometimes. But we need one another in the body. Next, the testimony of the disciple belongs to a local church. That's where we come together. That's the unity of the faith. It look, look at your outline. Grows within the church. Uh, verse 15, that they may grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ. He's speaking of the church here. And then we need to connect within the local church. Ephesians 4, 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint supplies. It's the intentional placement and connectedness which implies intimacy. We need to have intimacy with one another. You know what that means? We need to share hearts with one another. We don't need to walk in here and put on the mask and say, yeah, see if you can get closer. You're not, I'm going to tell you. We walk in here and we just simply say, I'm hurting some Sundays. And I don't know where to turn. Could I have a hug maybe? <laughs> don't ask Gary. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. Gary even hugged me one time. No, but I'm here to tell you that we need one another. We need that connectedness. Not only that, belongs to a lot, serves within the church. Look at verse 16 again, the second part. According to the effective working. That effective working phrase is the idea of synergy. That means all the parts are working towards the same destination, trying to accomplish the same goals. But there's many parts. And it says, by which every part does it share. It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This implies that every part is needed and is necessary. And verse 16 is literally saying, that is the masterpiece of God when all that works incongruent with one another. So here's the application. How generous are you in helping us fulfill the responsibility to disciple? I'm going to quickly go through something I shared back in October. But here's, what, here's, what, here's where this whole sermon is directed towards. Listen to me very carefully, please. I want our church to be a place where people can find the answers to this life where people can find the hope that's out there, where people can come and, and we can help straighten out their deception in the world and place it firmly on the truth of God's word. That is discipleship. 
We are seeing young families. Listen, at 11 o'clock, even in this service, but especially at 11 o'clock, I look around. I get the privilege here in the next hour. Of course, most young people are at the beach this weekend. But anyway, I get the privilege to sit here and, and share with all these young families who are just starting out and say, hey, hang in there. You're, you're a minority, and they are. But boy, they are sure stepping up. But here's what I want us to be. I want us to be a church that takes discipleship seriously. And for us to do that, you've got pastors that meet every year, every week that are praying, that's moving, checking our motives, checking our, uh, evaluating everything, reflecting on everything, saying, are we moving in the right direction? Well, where would, God, where would you have us go next? And here's where we believe we're to go next. We need, to, we need some facilities to accomplish what we're attempting to do. Some of you are sitting there saying, okay, here's the catch, I get you now. But we do. Facility expansion, three phases. Look here, you've heard this, I wanna show you where we are right now. We've, we've already put before you that we, we need educational facilities and, and in that will, will be a senior adult suite. We are hoping to start construction. Some of you are laughing already. This summer. I'm not going to give you a month because none of those have worked, this whole process. But we have had some holdups. There's some things that have held us up. Hasn't been a financial thing. It's just been some getting the drawings, matching it all up. That's where we are right now. The educational facility, look at the first picture here. Um, this is what it looked like. Many of you have seen this. Uh, we actually, the drawings should be ready for us next week. Uh, the goal is to have it ready for the next deacons meeting. Uh, and then, so all that's in place. The financing is somewhat in place. We've been pre-approved for whatever we need. Uh, all that, everything's just on go. So that's what it'll look like, and it'll be connected on this side of the building, okay? All right, go to the next, yeah, there, go to the, there you go. Um, yeah, the playground, see the, the circle there? That's where it will go, right there on our campus, connected to this building. All right, and then we're looking at an atrium. This is not in the plans right now. This, I'm just giving you the big picture. It'll be a lobby with a welcome center and a gathering area, and it'll be closing in the two buildings. So go ahead and go to the next screen there. Uh, you see that glass structure there? We, we don't really know what that'll look like, but that's kind of a rendering. There's the new piece right there, kind of closest to you with the green roof. And then there's the atrium, okay? Um, many of y'all try to make a gathering area out of the back, back uh, aisle back there. We, we want to put you somewhere else to gather, okay? <laughs> and uh, we're anticipating great things with that. Okay, uh, so we're going to close into the building. Show me the next, yeah, it'll go between the buildings there, and we'll kind of strip out the whole middle there and redo it. Uh, next, we have the balcony to the current worship center. We are looking at creating a balcony in this room. So those old classrooms up there will become part of the balcony. We'll be able to add a net of 250 seats. And we will also have to deal with some parking at that point. We will start construction on all this, on the atrium and balcony and parking once this other part's paid off. Once the education part's paid off, we're, we're going to immediately jump into this. The deacons have already kind of set the vision for that. Go to the next screen, please. The future capacities with the intermediate expansion. So based on one hour, this is what we can do. We have enough room for 100 preschoolers. Uh, we, we have enough room for 200 uh, children in the ministry, students 200, adult ministry 375. Now that's per hour, okay? Now some of you look at those numbers and say, man, that's a lot. Preschoolers sometimes will bump 50, our children's ministry sometimes will go as high as 125. You see what I'm saying? We're getting close. Okay, we need some more space. Keep going, please. 
Uh, the future capacities would intermediate, oh yeah, the worship gatherings. Uh, we could see 750 in this room times the two hours. We'll probably always have two services. That will seat about 1,500 people, but only 80% of the people fill the room. That's some kind of thing that... Something to do with our cycle, I don't know. Anyway, we're looking at a capacity of 1,200 people. Office space, we have enough room for 10 offices plus a work area and a meeting area, intern housing. That will stay in the current place where it is right now. Go to the next screen. Educational facility cost. Go ahead and throw all the numbers up there. The approximate cost of construction is one point. 162, the architectural engineers, 30,000 furnishings, audio, visual, 45, new playground area. We gotta move the playground, it needs to be replaced anyway. We're gonna put it inside the fenced in area, that's that 70,000. Interest on 2.5 years and interest on 850,000 is 55,000. Of course, 10% of that will go to missions from those who give individually, okay? So we're looking at about 50,000 towards that. So we go to mission projects. The total cost to cover all that is $1.4 million. Go to the next screen. The deacons made a recommendation on October 14, 2018 to build this educational facility barring no more than 850,000 of the 1.4 million. Voted and passed by 99% Sunday, October 28, 2018. Go to the next screen. Funds on hand, here's where we are. Um, uh, we have $435,000 on hand, if you look up there. How does that break down? The rental properties we sold, we made $318,000. Generous businessman in our community gave us four rental properties and we sold those. 2018 uh, budget, we were able to put $40,000 towards that. In 2018, we were also paying off something else that we had on the renovations. They, finishing that. 2019 budget, so far we have $37,000 put away. Uh, towards this project, 2018, the present individuals. Now, back in 2018, we had a similar campaign as what we're start introducing right now. That we we receive uh, 40. We re we receive some individuals who said we want to be a part of this. They have already given 47,000 up to this point. You see what I'm saying? So that group that did this in October. Uh, minus our architectural costs, we've already paid out some things, minus the mission projects, that that gives you the 435 up there. So that's what's on hand. So we have cash on hand, 435. Uh, from budgets of the church, the rest of 2019, we shouldn't have any problem with putting 120,000 towards the project, 2020, 2021, 175, 175 per year, just from the budget. From 2018 families, they are those, and you in this room, maybe some of those who committed to do something, okay? That's what y'all committed to do in 2018. Now we're asking for 2019 families and individuals to make up the difference. We still have a surplus, I mean, a shortage of 306,000. So what you have there is the need, okay? Now, Individuals giving to reach goal, 36 month commitment beyond your tithe. Of course, listen, if, if you start saying, okay, I'm not tithing, I'm gonna give to this, then you've messed up a lot of numbers in the church. <laughs> you, you, gotta, you gotta pay attention. So this is above that, okay? So you have that, you got your monthly gift and all that. If you gave $50 times 40, that's $2,000. Uh, $100 per month, 25, we could raise $2,500 a month, 10 at $200, 8 at $250, whatever. So you have 83 families we need to step up. That would equal $8,500 a month times 36 would be 306. That would make up the difference, okay? All right, so this commitment card is right there in your handout. You can pull it out if you'd like to be a part of this. If you committed in 2018... Thank you. Keep doing your commitment. 
we're just inviting new people in with this new one. Okay, maybe you're at a different place. Maybe you're new to the church. We'd love to have you be a part of that. Check one of those, tear it off the best you can, and turn it into the iDesk or an offering plate in just a little bit, okay? Or over the next couple of weeks. You pray about what God would have you give. You can give a one-time time, one time thing or other amount, whatever it may be. That's our goal as far as taking care of the need there. All right. Y'all tired of hearing me talk? Be honest. I am tired of hearing me talk. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask the men to come forward if they will. You ushers, come on forward. And y'all, I just want to challenge you with this last thing. We've been given a mandate. Uh, years ago, years ago, um, I don't want to pastor a church that plays church. When I was 10 years old, somehow I knew back at 10 that God was going to call me to be a pastor. Me and my two sisters played church. I was the pastor. My younger sister uh, kept the library in the church. My other sister was a worship leader, and we had stuffed animals that attended our service each and every week. <laughs> we played church. I don't want to play church. I want to do church. And that's what we're challenging you to be a part of. Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to give this morning. We pray, Lord, that you'll just take it and use it as, as you see fit, Lord, as we either seek to continue to build our facilities that we can reach more. Or, Father, maybe it's missions in which you've given us such a desperate heart for missions. And we thank you for it. Just thank you for those who are willing to go out from among us. Whatever it is, Father, help us to be faithful, help us to be obedient, and help us to be accountable to what you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.